you know, the thing about this is, it, it is a Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to show you that. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We will not be able to, in seven weeks, deal with every verb and every verse and parse every verb in uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I have, in other settings, taught through the Sermon on the Mount. It's taken a year. You know, you just take, take you know, you, we're going to do all the Beatitudes today. You take one uh, on a Sunday. So um, I'm just going to give a survey and just try to show you some of the teaching that Jesus taught in this, this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, and there is no better word to describe it than revolutionary because the people of the time are looking for a revolution. They're looking for the Messiah to bring a revolution, and Steve talked about the Roman Empire is in control, and that's true, and, and they're looking for somebody to, you know, kick butt and take names. And, 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 and Jesus comes in, and he starts talking. The first thing he does, and I'm going to read to you from a, one, of the, one scholar in a moment. The first thing he does, he comes in with basically what we would, what I call shock and awe. Scholars say he comes in with a shock thing because he comes in talking about attitudes. And they're looking for boom, 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 you know. He comes in, and, and they're looking for revolution. Jesus is talking revolution, but he's talking about a revolution of the soul and the heart and the mind. And that's why this is appropriate that we talk about revolutionary stuff when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, I don't know that I can fully communicate to you just how revolutionary this was, but I thought about it. What would that have been like to be there? I, I was allegedly on the... And, and when you go to Israel, that's they, every time you go somewhere, it's like, this is the traditional site of such and such. You know, and this is the traditional site of, of the Sermon of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, it's, I, I'm always like, well, I don't want the traditional site. I want to know where Jesus was. You know, and it's, well, we're not sure. And, you know, and, and so where I, we were near the Sea of Galilee, near Capernaum, and we were at the traditional site. Whether it was there, whether it was somewhere else, there's some, some question about that among scholars. I don't know that it really matters. But here's what I do know. I know that at that time, and there start, he started out just talking to his disciples, we're told in other places. There's two places that talk about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what we're going to be looking, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then Luke 6. Luke also gives a rendering of it. The Sermon on the Mount was not just three chapters or one chapter in Luke. Luke writing about it from his perspective and Matthew writing about it from his perspective. Sermon on the Mount was more than likely much longer than that because it takes you about 12 minutes to read it. And... Um, I know Jesus talked for longer than 12 minutes. It was, just what, it was just what hit that particular gospel writer, in this case Matthew, that we find the writings down. And I'm sure Jesus did it many different places, many different parts of the, of the message that he gave here uh, in different places where he would go. But here's what I know. This, this is why I would love, I love those shows, you know, movies, wherever, where they take you like back in history and you're there. I love that. Because I would love to have been like on this hillside or, 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 or plain or whatever it was, when Jesus is talking and he's talking to his disciples and a few hundred people are gathering and ends up being probably over a thousand or, and, and more than that. And he starts talking about attitude because here's the, here's the people that are just steeped in tradition and religion and Judaism and sacrifices and 613 commandments that Moses gave them, you know, from the Old Testament. They are just steeped in that. And I can hear Jesus just starting to talk about attitudes. And you can see Heschel here and, and Morty here talking, sitting beside each other. And, and, and Heschel looks at Morty probably and says, what the hell is he talking about? I'm, I'm sure that happened. Because it's like he's talking about something that 
that's new to them. You and I, we, it's not new to, because we, if we know anything about the Beatitudes, I'll tell you more about that in a moment, or, or anything about attitudes and, and so forth, and we, I talk about that a lot if you come here and, and uh, even once or twice. So for you and I, it, we're not going to have that shock and awe, but I, I want you to um, um, nonetheless try to capture what that must have been like that first time when Jesus began to teach this. Jesus taught with authority also, and I appreciated Steve's words about, that's the thing, you know, I, as a kid, I had this whole view of Jesus being this little sissified, you know, you know, meek and mild. You know, Jesus, was, he had strength, and he had, to be, he had to be a charismatic guy to get the kind of, to get the kind of followings that he had. It wasn't just because he performed miracles. I mean, he was just an amazing, amazing person who reeked love and grace and still was just a, just a, just a regular guy. It wasn't some, you know, whatever. So I want you to think about that as we go into this in these first, we're just going to look at 10 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of real, little, let me give you a little, what I call sort of a, a, a parenthetical theology lesson. A couple of theological points about the Sermon on the Mount that we need to deal with. Some people would say that the Sermon on the Mount uh, is like a formula to get to heaven. You do these things, much like they would use the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. They say, you do these things and you're going to go to heaven. Let me, let me just kind of help you with that. There is no formula for getting to heaven other than just trusting God and trusting Christ. That's, 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 that's there, you know, and hopefully you'll live in a way that will be honoring to Him. But you know what? If you trust Christ... And even if you don't live in a way that's honoring to him, if you're trusting him, um, he's going he's gonna to take care of you. The Bible assures us of that. We'd be better if we did what he said and sought, sought to live in a way that would honor God and people. Uh, some people will look at this and theologians, some theologians would say, well, this is kingdom living. This is only for the time when the kingdom of God is ushered in or, or we go to be in the kingdom of God, whatever your interpretation of that might be. And, and then that's kingdom stuff. And it doesn't really have anything to do. In fact, I had one professor in school who taught that this was not for today, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he even came to hear me uh, talk one time at teach at the church, the first church I pastored, which wasn't far from the school I graduated from. And uh, he came and I was at, happened that Sunday to be talking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he stayed and listened. But anyway... Um, so I guess they didn't object too much. But they, they, that brand of theology would say that's not for today. And I would say, you know, that's not necessarily the case because this teaching points us to Christ. It points us to the fact that we can't do what we need to do to be approved by God. It's all, it's all a thing of God and Jesus and what He has done for us. And, and really, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, as we're going to look at this morning, it points to the need for Christ in my life. It shows how God is pleased, and it shows how, how I'm blessed. So having said that, I want to just jump into these. Let's just read them. Maybe you've read them before, maybe not. Let me add one last thing. Because one of the things people ask every now and then is Beatitudes. What is that? Where does that come? Is that a Bible word? It's not a Bible word. Not in the Bible. It's a Latin, it comes from a Latin word, actually. Beat, uh, the Latin word is uh, beatitudo, which means happiness. Because what the translation then would be that blessed or happy is the person who does this. So the Beatitudes are really saying happy, and it comes from this Latin word, happy is the person who, and we're going to see that, and, and it, it, use, it can use the word happiness or blessed interchangeably. And the word happiness 
here isn't quite the same word that we would use for happiness because it's not just some, you know, superficial type of thing. It's much deeper than that. It's more of a contented joy type of thing. So understanding that, let's just read through this very quickly, these 10 verses. This is the New Living Translation, not a traditional uh, translation, but a a good one nonetheless. And uh, just follow along. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day as the crowds were gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside with his disciples, and he sat down to teach them. This is what he taught them. God blesses, or happy are those, who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they will receive it in full. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So, according to Jesus, I love it when I can do that. According to Jesus, this is the way of blessing. This is the way of pleasing God. Let's just back up and and, and talk about each one of those verses, each one of those quote-unquote beatitudes. and see what Jesus says is the way of pleasing God because the way of pleasing God is the same way that we are blessed. So here we go. Let's take the first one. Back to verse 3. God blesses those who realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. Now, if you maybe had read a more traditional Bible, this would have said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I've always wondered, you know, poor in spirit, what the heck does that mean? Poor in spirit. Is that opposed to having being rich in spirit? You know, um, here's here's what that really means. One writer put it this way: You're blessed. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. What he's saying here basically is this: the way of blessing is realizing the futility of me. I can't. I can't be good enough. I can't clean myself up and, and come to God, or come to Christ, because I can't clean myself up enough. And what Jesus is saying, how happy, how blessed is the one who realizes, you know what? I'm not good enough, God. I just want to come to you. I'm through the futility of me trying to self-improve and, and you, know, you know, do this and do this and do this to make myself better. You know, obviously there's some things I can do to, to make myself better in this way or in that way, but in terms of being recommended or being accepted or being approved by an almighty righteous God, there's nothing I can do. I'm through with trying to do it myself, trying to say, well, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments this year. No, I'm not going to break any of them. I'm going to follow all the Beatitudes, and then God will accept me. God will accept you now, whether you've done those, tried those, or, or not. Trust me, if you've tried them, you've failed. If not in, in letter, in action, you have in spirit. So according to Jesus, the way of blessing, the way of pleasing God is the, bless, the way of blessing is realizing the futility of me. I'm done trying because I can't be good enough. That points me to Christ because he, he, he gives me that enablement. 
All the time? No, because I still have that, that, that original nature that came with the package. It's always going to be there as long as I'm alive. But the times that I am able to please God, it's because of Jesus, of Christ working in me. That's the first thing. The way of blessing is realizing the futility of me. Second thing, verse 4, God blesses those who mourn. This tough one here. For they will be comforted. Now, what's that? Mourn. I mean, most of us, at least I think, when I think of mourn, I think of, well, you do that when somebody dies. Um, you do. And, and I've done that. Some of you have done that. There are other ways that you can mourn. You might be mourning the loss of a game. I didn't say that, did I? No. I've done that. I've been there. I've been, you know, Yankees got beat last fall. I was like, I'm done with baseball. Done. Broncos got beat a couple years ago. Favored to win. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. Mourning the loss. Took me a couple weeks, and I started watching Sports Center again. But I mean, in, in, in some cases, you know, it, it, and that's a simple way, obviously. Mourning, we think of all that kind of stuff. Listen, it's not what he's talking about. Let me give you another writing. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. This is a more, much more serious thing, than, than, even, even than a loss of a loved one, as serious as that is. Much more serious. He's, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. The way of blessing is losing what is valuable. You say, okay, I'm not quite tracking with that. Here, here's the issue, folks, and you need to deal with this. Life brings loss many different ways. And some of the things that we cling to that give us value, whether that be my job, whether that be my family, whether that be my, you know, significant relationships in my life, even my church, um, when some things things in life change. Let me let me just tell you, I'm just just barely old enough to know this. Okay, things in life change, people change, chemical balances happen, and people change, people leave. People walk out. People say things to people that they love that they never thought they would have said to them. People die. Relationships break up. Um, if it's things, and I think most of us probably understand the, the, the problem with trusting things. We'll see this more next week. Moths and rust destroy them. The point that Jesus is making is the way of blessing is losing what is valuable because it draws you back to the fact that there's really only one thing that you can never, ever lose, and that is a relationship with God and His presence. That's a hard, that's a hard message. That's, an, that's, not a, that's not an encouraging message. Uh, it, it, it is an encouraging message, but it's a hard message to hear somebody like me say, you know, if you have those family relationships love them enjoy them you know get all you get you know get all you can get and give all you can give out of that and i've said this before but hold them loosely because things do change and when our identity gets wrapped up in that too and and we've all either been there or been close to people who've had that happen to them and you try to be there for them as much as you can Jesus is saying the way of blessing, and, and, and that's what the, the, the one writer, you blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you, and then you're comforted because you're drawn, to, you're drawn closer to Christ. And that's what Jesus says, the way of blessing is losing what is valuable. 
because it's going to push you, hopefully, closer in the direction of your God and your Lord Jesus. That's what hopefully will happen. Doesn't always happen that way for people. Sometimes they go the other way, and it's not a pretty picture then. Because then you see them, instead of becoming better, they become bitter. And um, it's not, that's not good. We've all seen it. And it's not, you know, and that's why when you look at the wisdom of what Jesus is saying, you're saying, yeah. Nothing wrong with family, nothing wrong with relationships, nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with stuff that gives you joy. Nothing wrong with that. Don't trust in it. Don't, don't, don't cling too tightly to it. Because life is the way that it is. All right? Second thing, way of blessing is realizing the futility of me. The way of blessing is losing what is valuable. Look in verse 5. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them. What does that mean, gentle and lowly? This is my only negative point. I'm going to give you the point in kind of a negative way. You'll see what I mean. Normally I don't like to do this, but it's the only way I, I felt like I could really word it to communicate it properly. Here it is. The way of blessing is not being forceful and manipulative. I don't have to force my way. I don't have to manipulate my way. This is a tough one. Jesus taught servant leadership. And this is a tough one because we live in a world that doesn't honor this. And we have to be creative and figure this out. I mean, I had this, I was, I, no kidding, I was, I was in D.C. for two days this week. And um, so I'm all full of, full of political news. I'll try to keep it to myself um, uh, or personal conversations. But, but uh, it's always great. You get inside the beltway, it's just like... Nothing else matters except the politics of the day. Where else can you go with a taxi cab driver listening to all things considered, you know, on public radio? It's like, I'm in D.C. It, it, it feels it. Anyway, anyway um, so it was, it was a national prayer breakfast, and I helped work with that group for a long time and still did and so forth. So I, I get in Wednesday afternoon. Prayer breakfast is Thursday morning. I get in Wednesday afternoon. I'm on the train. I'm on the train, and if you've been on the train, you know it's great. You can work on stuff on my computer. I'm, I'm actually writing notes down about this particular point. I go in, I get into the, in Washington Hilton where I'm supposed to check in. It's 4 o'clock, 4.30 actually. I got a 6 o'clock meeting. I'm dressed about like I am here. Maybe not this, this well, but I, it's, it's, it, as you know, you've got to wear suits to everything there. It's just nuts. And um, so I get to check in. They say, oh, we can't check in, uh, Reverend Teeters. It's uh, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so I said, oh, I understand. I said, I said uh, it's busy. I said, I got, I got a meeting like in an hour and a half, and I got to kind of like look decent. And, uh, oh, okay, well, they didn't, you know, long story short, I didn't get checked in. And, and they didn't have my room ready till 8 o'clock that night. I uh, went to a buddy's room and had changed and tried to freshen up there a little bit and get in a suit. So anyway, that night, I go back to the check-on desk about 10 or 11 o'clock before I go to bed for the next morning's breakfast. And I say, hey, listen, I got meetings all day tomorrow. Can I get a late checkout time? And they were like, no, no, we can't do that. You got to check out at noon. <laughs> and I said, I got to check out what time? I got to check out at noon. And I'm like... Well, I didn't check in until 8 o'clock. My room wasn't ready. Well, I understand, but we, we still have this policy. And, and you know where this is headed, don't you? Um, you know. And I was very, I was very gentle and lowly for, for another five minutes. And, and I said, you know, really, this, this would really help me. Well, we can't do that. So I said, hey, how the hell you do this? What's the deal? I said, you check me in at 8 o'clock. You tell me you don't have a room ready. Now you tell me i got to get out of here at noon. I said, I, I can't do that stuff. I said, I want a late checkout time. I don't want any more crap out of you, okay? And, and he said, what time do you need? 
I'm like, why do I have to do that? I mean, I just, and he said, I said, I need five o'clock. No problem. I mean, just like that. No consulting, no calling. I'm just like, why do you have to do that stuff? Now, you got to figure this one out, okay? <laughs> I, you know, and I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. There, I'm, I'm convinced in my heart there was a better way instead of me switching to default mode, which is my default mode. I'm not happy to tell you that, but it is. And, and, and like, it, it, I'm, 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 you know, what do you do with that? You do the best you can with it, and you try to be creative and saying, how can I still be gentle and not have to force my way and not be... The world doesn't honor that. I got to tell you that the, the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, doesn't honor that. It doesn't mean that we can't look for ways... I'm not giving you my example as a, as, as a way for you to live, okay? I'm telling you, I failed there, okay? And, and many of you can relate, I think. Um, there's got to be a better way. I believe God's way is a better way, and we have to be creative to try to figure that out, particularly when we're in business. We've got stuff going on. We've got deals. You got this. you got that. We can be strong, but there's a better way than we can be strong than trying to force the issue. Unfortunately, the culture we live in, often forcing the issue works, that doesn't mean it's okay. And that's what I want you to take from that. doesn't mean that's okay, even though oftentimes we, we allude to that, all right? So there, and if you're visiting with us, you just saw a picture of the kind of person that's a pastor here, and, and that's just, you pray for me, okay? Because <laughs> guy said to me after one of the services, what can I really do for you? We love coming here. What can I really do for you? Do you need prayer? And I looked at him and said, what do you think? You heard my story. And he said, he said, I think you do. I said, I would appreciate that very much. All right. God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them. The way of blessing doesn't have to be forceful and certainly not manipulative. Look in verse 6. God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for they will receive it in full. Hungering, one Bible puts it, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So here's what this is. What does that mean? I mean, and this is one of those beatitudes that people say, see, there's never going to be total justice. Everybody's not going to receive it in full. That's why this is just for God's kingdom in the future and not for today. No, but we can still strive for it. And we can still seek to be the just, i.e. fair person, person of integrity that God says we should be. And that's the point here. What, what is it? The way of blessing is desiring God's way. The way of blessing is desiring God's way and doing things the way God desires us to do things. For some, for some that might mean the simplest little act of, of social justice, of helping out someone uh, that you deal with on a daily basis or that you see and being able to come to their aid or their need or whatever that might be. For some, it might be a bigger deal where you commit you know significant amount of time to that. Some people will take, we haven't done this yet, we're going to in Renaissance. Some people will take missions trips to, to seek to do this in some ways as well. And that's a good way, that's a great thing to do. We hope to be able to do that in the not too distant future. So it's not just a one-time deal though, it's a lifestyle. And that's what Jesus is, is getting at here. The way of blessing is desiring God's way, that hungering and that thirsting for doing what is right, the just, what is just and what is righteous. Number seven, verse seven. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's a challenge for you. Pretty simple what this is talking about. You're going to receive mercy as you give it, basically. You know, if a person's not, not very merciful, oftentimes they don't receive it. 
And it's just, that's just how it is. But here's the thing. That m- m- many people here may have thoughts of kindness. But I would ask you to do more than the thought. Follow through with that. You think about doing something for someone. Something maybe as simple as sending them an encouraging note. Something as simple as going to a neighbor's house and seeing what you can do for them if they've had some problems. Something as simple as a, trying to come in an aid of a family member. My point, and I think Jesus' point is this, that the way of blessing is kindness. Not just thinking about it, but following through with it, which sometimes we, we have problems with. Look in verse 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's a, that's a good one. You know, we're rightfully... But we're in this kick in our more so than I've noticed, I think, in the last few uh, few years. This kick of, of cleanliness, you know, germs and 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 you know, staying pure. I mean, we see this more and more. In fact, in fact, at the prayer breakfast, um, I met um, I met Mickey Rooney, and I was we were going into the concierge level lounge there, and and and, and the Hilton. Was, I was with a friend of mine, and he's like seventy or seventy one, and I said, Hey, is that Mickey Rooney? And he said, because he was sitting by himself, and he said, yeah, that's Mickey Rooney. I said, God, I thought he was dead. And uh, he, said, he said, you suppose I should go up and tell him that he was really, really big when I was a kid? This guy's 70 years old. And I said, I don't think that's the right thing to say. So I just walked up to him and said, hey, Mickey. I said, how are you doing? I said, I'm a big fan. And he just sort of lit up. He said, hi. And I walked over to shake his hand. And he went, no. I'm not, it's never happened. I've heard of this. It never happened to me, though. I said, oh, he said, I don't shake hands. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, that's okay. I said, you don't do that because of germs? And he says, yeah, I don't do that because of germs and stuff. I said, God bless you. I said, I'm a minister. I have to shake hands and kiss people all the time. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, more power to you. I love that attitude. And he just sort of lit up, you know, and it was just, it was kind of funny. I've never had that happen. But, but, and then we just chatted for a while. And he was very friendly and very gracious. And, and, and once he, I, thought, he, I think he thought I was going to be offended. And I wasn't. I just thought, that's pretty, pretty neat. Pretty weird, but neat. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, it's just kind of, no, I don't take hands. Um, anyway, the whole cleanliness thing. A lot of us are concerned, and, and rightfully, with some of the stuff that we see, you know, floating around, some of the, some of the diseases and stuff that you can catch that way. Um, we, and, and that's good. I'm not being critical of that because God knows I'm, I'm as bad as anybody, if not worse. But we need to take that to a different level and start thinking about the things that, that really cause impurity inside, whether that be something like pornography that gives me a whole polluted view of love and life and of people, and, or whether that be something like other things that, that can just affect me and my motives, you know, whether I'm one of those people that, that you know, always has another agenda. I was talking with another friend of mine, and this I mean, you've, known, you've, you've had this happen. You know, this is one of these guys, you're sitting there talking to them, you know, and you're talking, he's asking me about the family and Charlene, and my new granddaughter, and asking me about all this. And all the time, you've seen this, all the time he's talking to me, he's like this. So, how's Charlene doing? Yeah, okay, okay. How's the kids doing? Yeah, okay. You know, looking around, seeing who's coming into the room next, and it's fine. I'm like, hey, 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 right here, baby, right here, okay? You know, and, 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 that's, and it's, it's a whole different motive, you know? And I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to judge. Is, is that the, you know, did he really have a different motive? Well, I happen to know him, and I know he did. But, but, <laughs> but 
everybody that does it may not. My point is this. We need to examine our motives. We need to ask God to help us examine our motives and some of the impurities that come into our heart, whether we have. Here's the issue. Old preacher said this to me one time. He said, how many times do you think our, he asked me a percentage. He said, what percentage of times, interesting question, how many, what percentage of times do you think our motives are totally pure in anything we do? Totally pure. Not trying to impress anybody, not trying to get to know anybody for any other reason, just totally pure. And I said, I don't know. He said, well, one friend of mine says about 30%. I said, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know that I agree with him. He said, I don't think we ever have pure motives, which is, you know, a little, little cynical for me. But um, Jesus is saying the way of blessing is an inner awareness, Okay. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. This drives us to Christ because he's the only one that can do that. We can do some things. We can limit certain influences, you know, like Mickey not wanting to shake hands. We can, we can, we can, we can limit certain things that would cause us to be impure in our heart, in our mind, whether that be, you know, thoughts or trying to do this or trying to, you know, whatever that happens to be. But when we understand what Christ can do in a life, it drives us to a, a, a deeper, deeper inner awareness of what Christ can do in our lives. Two more and then we'll stop. Verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. What's that? You know, that some Bibles read, that God blesses the peacemakers. I used that Wednesday night when I closed out the ambassador's dinner, ambassadors from the UN that, that we do a prayer group with. I do it all the time, and and when I pray, often I'll say, God, I pray that you would bless these peacemakers, as you promised us in the Bible. They are peacemakers in many parts of the world. Is that just for them? Well, it is for them, but it's not just for them. Here's the issue I think that Jesus is talking about. The way of blessing is choosing peace over conflict. Choosing peace over conflict. Choosing peace over conflict with your mate, with your friend. People you work with. Why is it that there are people who seem to prefer the opposite? There are people who prefer conflict over peace. And if you give them a choice, they're always trying to start an argument. And you get into a discussion, and instead of saying the thing that's going to make peace, not to compromise the situation, instead of saying the thing to make peace, they want to fire it up. And they just live in conflict. The Bible tells us in another passage, be at peace with all men so far as it depends on you. Some people don't want to be at peace. But you have a responsibility by God's power and God's grace to choose peace over conflict. Last thing. We'll wrap it up with this. Last beatitude, verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for the God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to be persecuted right here in the burbs of New York City? I'm going to be persecuted because of my faith in Christ? I heard stories this week, I've heard stories all the time about people who are persecuted because of their faith in Christ in certain Muslim countries and other countries where it's not popular to be a a believer in Jesus. But but is that that in the burbs of, of, of New York? Probably not. I mean, you know, we may be discriminated against here and there. We may not be asked to a certain party or our kids may be left out here or there and, uh, who knows? I mean, we may be considered a little weird, a little crazy, a little, little stupid. Who knows? We may be considered something like that because we have a, we have a, a, a belief or a trust or a, you know, a, a who Christ is. 
but in the end, it's not going to really hurt that much. might hurt a little bit emotionally at certain times. You know, the time I drive down the street and I see a party, I'm like, my wife knows. Every time, every time, every time, I don't care where it is, Short Hill Summit, I'd see a party, and I'm like, why wasn't I invited? Why wasn't I invited? We may have a, just always feeling left out, I guess. But uh, not really. But um, we may have some of that kind of stuff going on. But is that really, is that really persecution? By the way, I don't think I have not been invited to any party because I'm a pastor or because, I, because I'm a Christian, but who knows. Um, no, I, I don't think that's really the issue. Here's what the issue is. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. The way of blessing is when your life is different. And I want to close with that thought. Is there a difference in your life? If indeed you are a follower of Christ, can people see a difference? And I don't mean that you wear it on your sleeve. I don't mean that you walk around saying, praise Jesus all the time. But I mean, do they see a difference in how you treat people? See a difference in how you conduct yourself. How, they, how you conduct yourself under pressure. When things aren't going quite your way. Do they see a difference? That's what Jesus is talking about. There should be a difference. There should be a difference in those who are followers of Christ. I'll give you a last quote from my favorite senator. One of my favorite senators. Everybody's getting tense. They're thinking, oh gosh, who's he going to quote? Hillary or Obama? Which one's he going to quote? <laughs> or McCain? Um, well, my senator's name is Lucius, Lucius Seneca, Roman senator, okay? I quote him all the time. I love him. Roman senator, he said, I love this. He said this, if you see a man unterrified in the midst of dangers, untouched by desires, happy in adversity, peaceful amid the storm, will you not say a divine power has descended upon this man, this woman? That's what Jesus was talking about. The Beatitudes change people inwardly, and the evidence is clear outwardly. Let's pray. Ask God to embed these truths into our heart. God, we are so grateful that we can stop and look and read, listen to the truths the words of our Lord. I pray they would continue to drive us to Him. And for some of us, that has been a long road of us seeking to have these things really developed in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, our attitudes. I pray we would be renewed and forgiven for the times that they haven't happened. For some of us, it's a new thing as we start thinking about this. I pray, God, that those people would just be have a, a, a vigor, a new vigor to seek to have you work in their lives. And for some, they're still thinking about it. And I pray for them as well and just that you would cause them to come to uh, um, an understanding of what, what, what is important as they give them wisdom as they think through that. We thank you, God, for your love and for your grace and for your forgiveness and for your enablement. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.